0: I am Marta Barandi, and today we unlock Ukraine with Belgian member of the Parliament, Georges Dalmań. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel and social media. Welcome to Unlock Ukraine. Today's episode will be with Georges Dalmań. Georges is MP, politician, Belgian politician, who dedicates his life to a cause that is bigger than himself. Actually, many causes. One of them is Ukraine. And we will be talking about it today. George, welcome to Unlock Ukraine. Thank you. Uh, You are MP. And uh, um, last year we met around this time in this area, in the office of Promote Ukraine, where you came to offer your help to Ukraine and Ukrainians. And then you decided to go to Ukraine. What connects you to Ukraine? What, how did it all start?
1: You know, I was impressed by, by what happened in Ukraine, in Kiev uh, for uh, at least 10 years. Uh, so with Euromaidan and with also uh, already the, the, the invasion of uh, Russia in Crimea, in the Donbas. So uh, I wanted to, to, be, to be involved, to support Ukraine. I, I want to be a friend of Ukraine and I ask my parliament to be the head of the friendship group between Verkhovna Rada and the Belgian party. The
0: group that you are leading still? Yes, still still
1: leading now. And uh, I went already to Donbas uh, like uh, six years ago uh, by train already, and uh, I I visited the front line. I was also uh, impressed by the attacks, by the cruelty of uh, the Russian uh, uh, invasion there. So uh, I... And... But I was also very impressed by... Uh, by the people of Ukraine. They, they, I was impressed by the fact that uh, they really uh, were involved in, uh, in, yes, trying to get um, uh, the, the integrity of the territory, the democracy, the, the freedom, the human rights. Especially I was impressed by um, young MPs who were uh, really uh, you know, very much involved in that, in that fight. So uh, I wanted to be part of that story because it was an important story for for Ukraine, but also for for, um, for uh, Europe, for Belgium, for me.
0: Did you, in that time, already knew that Russia might continue its its invasion, or you maybe had other ideas like that that it would stop, and Russia would give the Crimea back? What were but on that time, six years ago, what were your thoughts? You
1: know, I learned from my <clears throat> life uh, before I was working with Doctors Without Borders because I am a doctor by profession then into politics that you have really to listen to authoritarian uh, uh, head of states that they one day they will implement what they are uh, saying and so you have always to take them seriously Uh, and so i i was not that surprised you know Um, i remember um, december 2021 i was really concerned by uh, what would happen to Ukraine. I wrote that on Facebook that I was uh, concerned. And I was speaking w- with journalists. I was speaking with colleagues. And most of them would say, no, George, don't don't take it too seriously. And I was really concerned, because I know with my experience that you have to take very seriously the words of uh, authoritarian people, authoritarian Since regime. Since the
0: full-scale invasion, how many times did you go to Ukraine?
1: Since the start of the invasion, uh, we went together in March. So uh, uh, really, a few days after the, the, the start of the, this uh, this aggression, uh, and then we we went. I went four times to get, uh, all together. So uh, that was important for me.
0: So you saw the front lines. Now you saw the people. You saw the suffering. Yes, How of is course. this war different from what you have seen in, in the world? You said you were a doctor with a doctor without borders. You probably uh, traveled a lot and have seen a lot of wars. Is this war it,
1: different? Yeah, of course, it's 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 very much a new kind of uh, war in many aspects, but it's also a, a 19th century war in, in, in a way that uh, uh, there is a huge concentration of forces uh, uh, battles on uh, the ground, but it's also war uh, with disinformation, fake news, um, um, war towards even our own countries, economic war, uh, so there are many uh, new aspects in this war. Uh, the drones, of course, is a, is a new uh, part of the war, so in many aspects it's also a very modern war, uh, the kind of war we, we never uh, um, expected before so it's it's really something very new also for us
0: you say that it is war against your country does your country understand that does your country uh, fight back as it would be really war you against know
1: it? that's one of the key issue uh, I think uh, Europe was not prepared to this war uh, war uh, they they didn't expect that, that uh, they should uh, yes encounter such a war they didn't uh, in the software. Of many European, it was not uh, imaginable that we had this kind of war. So, one of my work at the Parliament was really uh, to explain why this is also our war. That uh, you know, it's a, it's a war of um, of um, force against rights. Uh, it's a war of um, you know, Tiran uh, um, uh, head of states. Like Putin who really want uh, to impose by force their own law uh, against international law against international rights. so it's it's of course it's something we have to take very seriously because, it, aff- it will affect the entire uh, uh, security of the world but so th- that's something people do- did not understand at the very beginning
0: did you manage to convince your government that' your government I think no
1: I think no yes with the time I think everybody agrees everybody accepts some uh, extreme uh, left or sometimes extreme rights but uh, um, I, I would say the majority of the the uh, MPs, at least, mm-hmm. uh, accept now this, this uh, analysis. But it took time, it took too much time, in fact, uh, because um, the support, yes, the support, um, the political support was there. But the, the concrete support in terms of weapons, in terms of uh, also uh, uh, ec- economic sanction, it took too much time. Did in it fact. change now? It's changing. But it's, we are always a bit behind where we should be. Uh, always too much behind that's my feeling you know i'm still fighting at the parliament so that we deliver uh, appropriate weapons because uh we still are and i'm very concerned by the fact that belgium at the heart of europe which is the the headquarter of nato of eu is not at the level it should be in terms of supporting ukraine i don't say that we don't do nothing but i say that we should deliver better assistance to ukraine and uh, uh, I think now we realize that Ukraine, that this is a real war in a way. Uh, that, but it took so long, so long to, for Belgium to realize that, and that the the victory is very necessary, very necessary. And what forever, is victory?
0: Well, how do you consider victory?
1: Victory is in the integrity of Ukraine, of course, and also justice for the victim. That's the victory, and I think. Uh, we, and uh, also um, re- rebuilding uh, Ukraine and also integrating Ukraine into uh, EU.
0: But what should happen to Russia then? How would victory, uh, what is defeat of Russia in these terms?
1: Uh, I think we have to, to consider that situation, I would say, um, as a crime. And we have to prosecute those who are responsible for that. Uh, that's for sure. And then uh, of course we would like a peaceful Russia, we would like, uh, 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 we would like uh, them to be responsible. But I think which is really necessary for me and what was the, the, really the big mistakes in the past is that this is a huge crime and it should be considered as such. And so they should be really, a prosecution of uh, the criminals. And uh, that's something th- which did not happen in the past with Stalin, for example, wh- with all okay. for example. Uh, so and that's the reason why, I, in my opinion, Russia was considering that he could t- do whatever they wanted, because in the past, their big crimes were n- never prosecuted. Nobody had to uh, to come to um to a uh, tribunal to uh, Uh, to pay for uh, the crimes that have been uh, done in Russia, in Ukraine, in other parts of the the former Soviet Union. So that's a big mistake for the past, and we should not repeat this mistake uh, in the future. That would be very important for me, for stability, for peace, for democracy.
0: You mentioned um, that uh, events... Again, uh, in October, we went together to Ukraine. And you came back, and you were uh, criticizing the government for not doing enough. I saw your post on Facebook that um, Belgium only um, gave, like, 0.04% of its GDP to Ukraine. Um, Has this changed? Did did this, uh, like, since then?
1: Not, Not enough. There has been some additional deliveries, some trucks, some uh, uh, weapons have been delivered, but it's, it's again it's not enough for me. I, again, we should really accelerate this this support. I think now um, Belgium is considering to accelerate that. I've uh, I w- there will be a further discussion in the Parliament in the coming weeks.
0: You were very critical about the fact that the Belgian Prime Minister or Northern Minister of Foreign Affairs visited Ukraine. And when you went to Ukraine in October, uh, you talked about it also to the Belgian media. Um, First of all, why you thought it was that important that the Belgian Prime Minister goes or the Minister of Foreign Affairs and what changed since then?
1: It was very important, first of all, because we were invited by the, the Prime Minister of Ukraine to go there. He was inviting Mr. Deco, or Prime Minister in, uh, already several times, and uh, last time in September. So uh, we had to respond to this invitation. But um, even more important, uh, all the Ukrainian people, I have seen that so many times that they, they appreciate that we are going there, that we are. Being alongside them, and that we we uh, at least for a few days or uh, we share uh, what is happening there, and we we understand better what is happening there. and I was really I was really um, deeply, uh, yes disappointed by the fact that Belgium uh, was one of the last to go there because um, there was no reason for that. Uh, there was really no reason. But what
0: changed? How uh, how did this happen? I
1: think they realized that uh, really. Uh, I I think one of the the reason they didn't go there they they overestimated the problem of their own security. That's my opinion at least. And I I, I had uh, I met with the prime minister afterwards, and, and he was surprised by the fact that he could go there, that he could have meeting there, that he could uh, work there with. Uh, President Zelensky. So, um, I think he, he, he didn't realize very much what was war. A War is, of course, there are cities which are bombed. They are a very uh, huge problem of security. But there is also places where you can still live and work. And, 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 and that was very important to to be there. And, and politically, uh, it was also a very important sign, of course. Uh, so.
0: He was there on the day of the commemoration of Holodomor. Yeah. Uh, did this? Uh, give some uh, did it impact his opinion about holodomor Uh, because you were the one who for years were pushing for the resolution of the parliament to recognize holodomor as crime against humanity and genocide potentially look into genocide and um, apparently the belgian politicians probably including the prime minister were not so much into this question, but the, the, the fact that he was not, now last week um, or two weeks ago, this was already, um, when was it? It was last week or two weeks it ago? It was
1: approved two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, <laughs> yeah. the, the
0: resolution was approved and, and Holodomor is being recognized as a genocide here in Belgium and you also uh, impacted this uh, um, uh, let's say raising awareness about it and this political decision but did the visit of the crow also play a role there I,
1: I hope so I guess so uh, even if I think it was not uh, on purpose but I, I guess it was a very um, good opportunity to for um, my government to realize how a lot more is uh, something so important to be recognized as, as a as a crime of genocide uh, and and um, so uh it took so long but uh you know that's really that's really something um, we still have to work on it uh because um although Belgium has recognized Holodomor I I see so many people here in Belgium who do not know what is Holodomor and I think it's very important to have the memory of the big crimes in Europe we all know what is the Shoah we should all know what is Holodomor and that's something that in the schools in the universities, in the parliaments, uh, in the media should really uh, be um, more explained, uh, more um, um, described because, um, again, if we, again, first for the victims of Holodomor. I think the most important when you are a victim of a big crime is that the, the right words are are put on, on this crime, and that uh, this is recognized really as a crime. We have now a trial of the terrorist attack in Belgium on 22 March 2016. For the victim of this terror t- uh, terrorist attack, it's very important that the, the r- right words are put on what happened to them. And it's f- the same for a of all. So for the victims, it's very important. But also for all of us, uh, for all of us, if we don't want these crimes to be repeated, we have to really... Uh, consider them as, as as they are.
0: Is that what's happening in Ukraine, is actually repeating uh, the crime of, uh, of genocide or the crime against humanity? Is it because it was not timely recognized? I'm, I'm
1: quite sure of that. And I'm not the, the only one who says that they're, they're the institute uh, Rafael Lemkin, Rafael Lemkin is, is uh, this theorician who has, for the first time, um, used the word of, of uh, genocide, and, and he applied that to Holodomor. He, he, he said that's the real example of what is a genocide. Uh, it's Rafael Lemkin, the first to say that. Uh, I think it's, um, he said, uh, this, uh, uh, and this institute said the same, that yes, there is a link between the fact that Holodomor was not recognized as a genocide and the fact that now uh, huge crimes are repeated again uh, in, uh, in uh, Ukraine, and uh, in a way uh, there are signs that it's again a genocide that is committed uh, uh, towards uh, Ukraine today. And uh, yes, we can, we can think, we can imagine that um, if Holodomo would have recognized as a genocide before, if the criminals would have been uh, sanctioned for that, maybe the story would have been different.
0: Do you see the aspects of genocide in Ukraine today do you see it Yes happening? of course of course Have you seen genocide elsewhere in I the-
1: think there are signs of genocide uh, when um, putin saying uh, that uh, the Ukraine nation should disappear that um, the Ukrainian identity should disappear uh, this is re- are really a signs of genocide genocide is the intention of um, uh, letting a, people nation disappear and and uh, losing their uh, their identity the deportation of children of, of course is also a good uh, a very sad example of that so I think uh, yes we um, I, I I raised this, this issue at the chamber in the plenary uh, a few months ago I said we shouldn't uh, um, avoid uh, talking about that we should uh, uh, we should investigate this really very carefully because they are really very, very concerning signs of, of uh, uh, genocide. You were,
0: <coughs> you were a director of Doctor Without Borders. Um, you traveled all around the world. Did you see elsewhere signs of genocide or genocide or maybe the recognized genocide happening?
1: I was involved uh, in many very um, big uh, war and, and, and uh, yeah, crimes and I was there in uh, Rwanda in 1994 so I was the f- one of the first, maybe the first, who said, after a few days, this is a genocide. Where? Mm -hmm. It was in 1994, in uh, April 1994, in Rwanda. And uh, I saw that because my teams were there. I was the director of operations. So they were were, um, sending me messages saying what was really happening in hospitals, in the countryside. And I I made a press conference on that. And I said, this is a genocide. But it took months for the international community to recognize that. Because when you say that it's a genocide, you you have uh, to intervene. You have to stop that this is uh, mandatory
0: responsibility to protect
1: yeah it's it's mandatory it's it, it's in the charter of the u.n it's chapter seven of the charter you have to stop that if you recognize genocide you have to stop that and of course nobody wanted to intervene uh, because it was risky at that time but it was really a genocide and i was there also in srebrenica in bosnia and i saw also what happened to the people there. I, I was with General uh, Moriot, who was the head of the UN uh, at that time. And I also saw that in Srebrenica. So I was also in northern Iraq uh, recently, and I saw what happened to the Yezidi people. They were also all uh, destroyed by by um, by Daesh. And so I also uh, put that issue uh, in the parliament, in the, the Belgian parliament. And they recognize, we recognized uh, the Yezidi um, crime as a genocide uh, last year thanks to the fact that I really pushed for that. So yes, that's maybe all my life to be concerned and to try to, to stop huge crime at, at least when they have been committed uh, in the past to really put the right words on what happened, to try to, uh, Bring to avoid that for the future.
0: Bring justice for the victims
1: and justice for the victim that's very mm. important mm. as well.
0: What do you remember what what impressed you the most what changed what was the turning point for you in your uh, this big mission of achieving justice for the victims? Is there something that you
1: Yes, I think one of the most uh shocking mission I've made I made so many travels in war torn areas, but one maybe of the most shocking was Srebrenica 30 years ago. Because Srebrenica was an enclave, Muslim enclave uh, in Bosnia, and we all knew what was happening there. We all had the um, s- images, the stories.
0: Um, I recently read in on your Facebook page uh, about uh, your experience in Srebrenica and um, you shared about two little girls uh, that uh, died on before your eyes because there were no possibilities uh, to help them and they just lost the blood and, and they died. Um, how did this experience change your perspective on, on the things? Did this, because what I feel from, from you, what I see that you're trying to reach Justice to get justice and to make people feel what you feel, and your pain is that big because some people are able to feel it, but they don't know where it is coming from. Is it one of the reasons that you are trying to push for uh, for people to be more human? That you saw what happened in Srebrenica? Yeah,
1: in Srebrenica, that was really a nightmare. You know, that was an enclave in Bosnia, and um, it was shelled by a Serbian army by General Mladic, and uh, we. All the world was knew what was happening there, and uh, and uh, it uh, lasted with a real mass killing. Huh? All the boys above um, 15 years of uh, old were killed um, systematically. 8,000 boys, and I was really, I was really shocked by the fact that we all knew what was happening, and that nobody wanted to intervene. Really. There was a Dutch the, the battalion there from the U.N., but they, they really did nothing for this. What, uh,
0: what was the role of the blue helmets there? What they
1: were it? supposed to protect the enclave. So uh, I was there in 1993, t- 30 years ago, with General Morion and uh, there was a declaration that this enclave will be under the protection of the in- international community, under the protection of the U.N. And I was with Doctors Without Borders. We send a, a, a surgical team there, and we stayed there. but. When this uh, enclave was um, uh, really destroyed by the Serbs and uh, that uh, and the, the, and shelled by the Serbs, at, at the end, they separated women and boys, and all the boys were killed. And it was really happening under the eyes of the UN, under this Dutch battalion. But nobody did something for them. But that.
0: did they realize what was happening? Yeah, they, they knew. realized.
1: Everybody knew at the secret- at the Security Council. In New York, Madeleine Albright was the State Secretary for the U.S. They share, she shared the, the pictures uh, with the, all the other uh, members of the, the the UN, and nobody moved. Uh, and why? Nobody.
0: Well, Was anyone? I think already
1: at that right? time there was a veto from the Russian Russia. already. Already at that time, the Russian and the Chinese, so uh, nobody dared to intervene. And then, and then a few weeks after NATO, uh, eventually. Uh, intervene and stop that war. But that war made 140,000 uh, um, um, casualties, 140,000 people died from that war. And it took so long for Europe again and for the international uh, system to uh, really realize that they should really intervene. And I think it's a bit the same story we see with Ukraine now. You know, it takes so long to realize that, yes, we have to stop that massacre.
0: You know, uh, you uh, remind me now, like, last year in February, March, there was one uh, guy from uh, Bosnia who came to me and said, you know, what is happening? It was the the Mariupol was occupied. There were no news from, um, from Irpin. We didn't know. We thought that people are dying under hunger. And he came to me and said, you know what? you will have the same story that we had. I am telling you, remember that. It's genocide in Ukraine. You will see that. And the international community will interfere. But after years and years, you are going to see. And the guy works in the European institutions. He told me that. And I'm now, like, looking back. I say, how did he make this? He knew already in February, March last year that it's genocide of Ukraine.
1: Yeah, I think... Uh, it, it's it's really the same story I, I maybe this time because the security of Europe is at stage maybe the, the, the reaction is, is is a bit quicker but it's, too, it's, a, it's still very late, it's still very much in, not enough um, but at least there is the uh, comprehension now that that, the, that we are also at risk in this story and uh, that we are more or less uh, w- that what is happening to Ukraine is because Ukraine share our values, share our uh, wishes for democracy, for uh, um, yeah, human rights. And that's why sh- Ukraine was attacked. And some that's something which took time uh, to realize, you know, because at, the f- f- at first we did not really uh, realized most people would not really realize uh, what was happening there they, they believed more or less uh, the the, f- the fake information of um, of Putin saying that uh, you know it's because of NATO it's because of uh, Nazi it's because of things like that so but now I think more and more people do realize that no, really. It's, it's, it's the international order which is at stake, it's the democracy which is at, at stake, it's all what we try to build since World War II which is at stake now.
0: Um, Georges, you take very heavy fights, and one of the fights is about uh, radical Islam. Why is that?
1: My experience, at least, my expertise in, is, is in security issues, and, uh, and I've seen uh, how radical Islam is really also a big danger. Uh, for Muslim communities for Muslim uh, countries but also for for us in Europe because they, they try to divide us they try to come with other values uh, they, they they try to um, separate people to uh, you know um, and also the, the 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 radical Islam is against democracy is against the human rights against uh, the equality between the women and men so uh, I think it's a very Big dangers still now, and uh, we have seen the terrorist attack. But uh, there are also um, terrorist attacks, maybe on a weekly basis, almost uh, in many Muslim countries. So it, it's it's really um, also a big issue. So uh, I've seen my own uh, country changing. I've seen my uh, um, city Brussels changing because the influence of radical Islam is 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 bigger and bigger. Uh, towards some of the people in the Muslim com- community so we have to to be vigilant we have to uh, uh, to talk to each other on, on what are our common values in in this society and
0: you wrote a book about it you have the whole the whole story about about uh, terrorist attacks or about uh, f- Actually, the, the fight against radical Islam. Yeah,
1: I wrote a book, which is uh, here. Yes, for, it's
0: a Daesh. Daesh, about Daesh. Is, uh, um, and Islamic I,
1: I wrote a, that book with a journalist, a very well-known journalist here in Belgium, Christophe Lamfalussy, because it's um, it, there is a hidden story. Uh, and this is hidden because it's a bit of shame for Belgium. In fact, the, the coordinator of this terrorist attack, the, the brain of this terrorist attack, is from Brussels. Few people know him. Uh, his name is Osama Attar. Uh, he has been probably killed uh, in northern uh, uh, Syria uh, in 2019. But there is no proof of that. Uh, and uh, he's prosecuted because there is no proof he's dead. He He's prosecuted in the trial which is going on in, now in Brussels. Uh, but um, it's a very uh, um, shocking story because Belgian, some Belgian MPs, some Belgian NGO helped this guy to be freed from a jail in Iraq. He was jailed by the American and the Iraqi because he was um, already in 2004, so 2004, 12 years before the terrorist attack, because he was convicted to be a terrorist there. But Few people in Belgium believed he was a terrorist. Most uh, um, people say no, he is an innocent. He, he, he did nothing very much wrong, and uh, he's, um, you know um, he should be freed. Uh, but there were signs, in fact, that he was dangerous. There was really reports coming, even from our own intelligence services saying this guy is dangerous he should not be freed and if he's freed he should be really controlled uh, because he could do really bad things but that was not uh, uh, considered seriously and so there was a lot of uh, pressure on the American and the Iraqi to let him come back to Belgium because the intelligence services uh, was in mind that this guy would be um, could be uh, used to, uh, you know, to uh, be like they call a honey pot, which could attract other jihadists around him, and that there could be a kind of uh, control, surveillance by the intelligence service of all these people in, in Brussels. But everything went wrong, yeah. and this guy went back, and he really started to organize the terrorist attack even since 2012, so four years before. The terrorist attack. He was already preparing them, and he, he, he. It was, and then he went back to Syria in two thousand thirteen, and from there, from Raqqa, he really organized the terrorist attack here, and it's really a shame because um, there was a lots of uh, signals. There was a lot of alert on the fact that this guy is really dangerous. But
0: what impacted the uh, such uh, attitude of uh, of Belgium towards him? Is it the the liberalism? Is it the idea that people are good, human? What what? Yeah, exactly is I think the...
1: in a way, you know, it's it's Belgium is it's a nice country, of course. In a way, people are quite generous. They, but the the, the problem is that they are sometimes a bit naive about security issues. You know, uh, they really they don't really. Um, think that persons like Usamata could really uh, harm Belgium. They did they, they really they, they didn't think that it could happen, really. So they underestimated the security issues. It's like for Ukraine, again. Huh? Uh, they really, in the, the software, in the brain of many um, people, or uh, even politicians in Belgium, they really are not used to, to that violence because it happened in Belgium so long ago, you know, they forgot that. Uh, the last really real um, attack on Belgium was in 1940 uh, with the, the Nazis. So they really forgot that the security issues should be taken seriously into account. So it's good in a way that people they are nice people. They welcome many people in Belgium. If you see Belgium, it's a very mixed population, but but sometimes we have to to be uh, um to really take care of our uh, own mm-hmm. security and and um and it did, did not happen enough with with um uh islam radical and be- Brussels became one of the places where islamists uh, could really uh do whatever they wanted mm-hmm. to do and nobody would really care of that
0: oh. Coming back to the book, where exactly did you get the material for the book? How did you collect the information?
1: You know, one of the reasons I uh, wrote that book is that after the Paris terrorist attack in on thirteen November two thousand fifteen, I asked for a commission of inquiry in, in Brussels uh, because we know we knew that most of the people who attacked Paris were coming from Brussels, but it was refused. And then when it happened to Brussels, then. Of course, the parliament organized and decided to organize this commission of inquiry. But there was no single word about Osama at the, com- at the commission. For weeks and weeks, we had lots of documents about other uh, terrorists, but nothing about Osama Attar. And then I got a phone call from uh, a journalist which I knew, uh, an American journalist. And she got information from CIA. And she said, George, you should ask question about Osama Attar. And I asked, who is this guy? And she said, it's a key person. And then I started to ask questions. And then we started to uh, get information. But this information was never made public to uh, the public opinion. Why? Because it's a sh- kind of uh, shame. Shame, a bad story. You but know. is it
0: admitted now on the website? On and then line?
1: I couldn't. Get this information out, so i I decided with a journalist to make my own inquiry, and then it took two years and then i get I got information from the Iraqi because I had good contact with the ambassador i had I was also the the chairman of the friendship group because it was also a country at war, so I wanted to uh, get uh, close information about what was, imp- uh, so I got information from them, I got information from the French, I got information from some Belgian uh, also sources and I made my own inquiry I, I because I, I I lived in Laken at that time and it, this guy is from Laken, so I, I met many people there and they told me what uh, was what's happening there since the very beginning from since the childhood of samatar what who were the uh, what was the influence on this guy uh from veterans coming back from afghanistan uh, things like that so uh it took quite a long time but then we wrote that book and then we when people from the intelligence service in uh, in Belgium read that book they say yes the story is true it's entirely true And um, all the experts who know the story, they say, yes, this is true. But still now, still now, the story is not well known in Belgium.
0: Are you now writing a book on Ukraine?
1: Uh, I'm considering, yes, I would like to. Uh, I don't know yet, but um, I want to tell human stories at least.
0: You are recipient of the Order of King Leopold, is it? Yes. I have never known about that. How <laughs> did that happen? And what does that mean?
1: No, it's just because I, I'm um, I'm um, MP since quite a few years, and so uh, it's because of that that I received this order. So, uh,
0: but what does that mean?
1: For me, it's just because I served my country and uh, for a, quite a years for more than 15 years so that's why i received that so of course i'm proud of it um, but uh, i'm no i'm proud of the fact that you know i live in a very small in a small country at the center of europe and we have to take care of what's happening far away from from us and sometimes it's not that far away and it's important that we take care of these people as well
0: I see the shirt. One year, uh, stay <laughs> in the fight. It's uh, Kiev, Ukraine, 24th February 2023. You were in Ukraine uh, a few weeks ago. On
1: yes, I list. was there for uh, the commemoration of uh, the first uh, year of invasion. Is
0: of... it there where you get you got the yes, shirt? Yes, I from was.
1: Whom? Uh, I I got this uh, as a present from the Verkhovna Rada. And from uh, Verkhovna Rada. Yes. Yes, from my uh, dear colleague, uh, Maya Miezenseva. So uh, she's a very, very impressive person, so a very tough fighter for Ukraine.
0: So many countries, Ukraine, Syria, Iraq, uh, you were born though in Congo. How did that happen? <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't know that when we were preparing for this uh, for this uh, session. Like there are very many countries, and it probably started with Congo because you're Belgian-born. Yeah,
1: yeah, you so, know, it's a, as you know, it's a former colony. So my my parents uh, went there after World War Two. In fact, my grandpa uh, father was uh, a prisoner of war. Uh, from uh, the Nazis, so uh, when he came back here in Belgium, he had nothing left in Belgium, so they decided to, uh, to go to Congo, and, um, and my parents became farmers there and uh, with cows and uh, horses, and uh, so I lived them for a while in uh, eastern part of uh, Congo, which is very much at war also now, so I'm very concerned by what is happening in Congo as well. I might be going there in the coming days uh, to really try to see what we can do. So
0: you're Congolese or you're Belgian?
1: Uh, I have still part of my heart in Congo, yes.
0: How long did you live there?
1: I lived there nine years, but I came back several times, in fact, as a doctor first with Doctors Without Borders. I opened a mission there and then uh, as an MP also. I came then back. Then. You
0: opened your mission there as a doc- uh, as
1: a doctor. As, uh, yes, I opened the first mission of uh, Doctors Without Borders in uh, Congo uh, more than uh, yes 30 years ago, I guess, and uh, they are still there. MSF is still there, of course, and uh, there is a there are huge crimes there also. So uh, it's it's really a uh, a very big concern uh, in the east of Congo. Uh,
0: did Congo influence your decision to become a doctor or is it something else?
1: No, I think I, I wanted to be a doctor since as, as uh, I was four years old. But so. you were living in Congo. <laughs> I was living in Congo and I was already a doctor, and, you know, and, I was and playing why? doctor. And what, what,
0: what? You don't remember what exactly I exists, don't really remember. Your parents had nothing to do no, with that?
1: No, no, nobody was a doctor. But nobody, you're a surgeon. Nobody was a doctor, nobody was a politician in my...
0: <laughs> you're surgeon.
1: No, I'm not a surgeon. I, 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 uh, I'm uh, specialized in uh, tropical disease, in public health care, in hospital management. And also in uh, international politics
0: Uh, you worked as a doctor for several years
1: i worked as a doctor uh, in africa and uh, also in refugee camp in asia uh, uh, during several years and then i became one of the um, coordinator and director of msf um, afterwards so i was i used to be uh, I I set up uh emergency team which uh would go wherever and whenever there was a, a huge uh, disaster it it would be it could be man-made, man-made disasters or uh, our uh natural disaster it could be uh, typhoons or uh, epidemics or wars I used to go there with the first team to check what we what was the, the security conditions first because I didn't want to send people where I couldn't you know go myself uh, and also to organize the first uh, emergency aid there and uh, so you are
0: saving lives, your' life savior from the small scale <laughs> to the big scale
1: I try to do my best you know when you save life, I think you, you, yeah you, I think you you behave as a human being
0: you mentioned that your father was war prisoner um, of Nazi regime uh, he was my grandfather A grandfather yeah. And he was uh, um, here in Europe? Or he was in, uh, how how did this, uh, what was his story?
1: My grandfather uh, from my father was in Europe. He was an officer. And he was taken prisoner at the very beginning of the war. So he was sent to camp in uh, um, Germany. And uh, so when he went back, um, yeah, he had nothing left here in Belgium. So he decided to take his two, uh, three uh, kids and go to Africa to build a new life there. And they were.
0: How long your parents lived in Africa?
1: Oh, more than 25 years. Yeah. And my other grandparent, uh, grandfather, he was an officer in Congo. And uh, he he set up um, a, a force, an army went from Congo to uh, Egypt to fight against uh, the Germans there.
0: You have the whole dynasty of the fighters (laughs) for justice.
1: Yeah, but I'm a peaceful man (laughs) (laughs) myself. I'm a doctor.
0: Um, You're a doctor. You're a politician. You are, um, uh, we could say that human rights, uh, um, like fighter for human rights. Are you a spy?
1: I'm not a spy. No, (laughs) I'm not a spy. No, I I would love in the next next life.
0: (laughs) Yes, interesting would be interesting life. George, it's a question rather for my team. Is there a hope for humanity?
1: (laughs) Yes, definitely. You know, um, end of two thousand twenty-one. I was really concerned. I was really. um very much uh, concerned by what was happening what because I, I knew the signs were there for the war in ukraine i knew there was uh, trump in the us there was bolsonaro there was xi jinping erdogan all those guys you know i was really um uh, very much concerned. But I saw 2022 was really a very important year to, sh- to show that people fight for their freedom, they fight for their rights, and they are not alone. And most people in the world, they want this. And this is a very good sign. And when you see Russia has lost the war in a way already, of course, it will still cost a lot of human life. And that's really, sh- uh, in- um, really shocking. But in a way, he lost the the, the 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 war already, and I think most uh, authoritarian regime they are not so well today uh, as they were one year ago, and that's a good uh, that's a very good sign. That's a very um, that that's a very good news for the entire uh, humanity, and and I think we all my life I had the impression that yes, this fight not only was the right fight, but it's not hopeless. On the contrary, it's very important. And we are we are uh, having victories. We really. are getting
0: united. So I feel yeah, that the, yeah. and this unity will be Yeah,
1: much victory. more than expected. You know, the EU is very united. Of course, we have Hungary. Of course, we have problems. But uh, when you see the picture, the overall picture, and the the, the the links with Ukraine are very strong now. And so I think there is a lot of hopes. yes.
0: Is there anything you would like to say to to our audience, to Ukrainians, to people from European Parliament, to everyone who may see this Unlock Ukraine series? Is there uh, any message from your side?
1: I think that what I I want to say is that this hope that I just mentioned, it stands thanks to the Ukrainian people. They show us uh, that... mm, Yes, the the future is not hopeless, that uh, uh, they gave us a big lesson in terms of hope and in terms of uh, how to build the future.
0: Georges, I am very grateful to you for very insightful uh, information and human story and for your fight, for your personal fight, for your political fight. And I hope that you will win. I told you maybe several times I want you to be a minister or maybe prime minister. I really wish you that and uh, thank you for everything you do.
1: Thank you, Marta, for uh, what you're doing. It's exceptional. I know that.
0: We have had uh, George Dalman today at Unlock Ukraine. We invite you to listen, listen carefully and watch it as many times as you need to make right decisions, to discern good from bad. This was Unlock Ukraine, Marta Varandi, see you next time.